against your enemy. It would be like us coming together here and saying, you know what, I, I spoke with God and God says, we're going to launch a national campaign to turn this nation of ours around and it's going to begin in Windside, Nebraska. I say, where? <laughs> Gideon said you got the wrong family. We're the poorest in the tribe. We have no financial background. We are nothing against 135,000 soldiers. Nothing. Got the wrong guy. The runt of the family. But God chooses, and he uses the most unlikely persons, and he affirms us. He says, you're my man, Gideon. Mighty man of valor. Sometimes we miss God's plan for us, don't we? Because we don't have any confidence. We're not a dynamic Christian. We say we're not a great leader. We don't have spiritual influence over people's lives. I certainly couldn't do that, God. Are you like Gideon? Well, this sermon's for us then, isn't it? It really is. Because God starts with affirmation. You can be more. He encourages us. Here's the second step that God uses to change Gideon, and that is revelation. Revelation. So first God encourages us, and then he meets us. If you want to write that in, you can. He meets us because he shows himself personally to you and to me. Life with God is more than religion. I think some of us are into religion, but Jesus says, no, it's a, it's a relationship. And in verse 17 of chapter 6, Gideon tests God. He says, I want you to give me a sign that this is really you, God, that is talking to me. And so he says, hey, will you wait here a little bit? I'm going to go get a sacrifice. And so he goes and he sacrifices a kid, which is a goat, which costs him anywhere from probably $500 to $1,000 today. This is not a small sacrifice. He brings it before God, and God goes, Whoa! And he consumes it supernaturally. And Gideon's response is, Whoa, this really is God. I'm going to die. I've seen God. And God says, no, 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 you're not going to die. I'm going to use you. And so what Gideon does on top of that is he takes a bunch of stones, because that's what they did, and he builds a big altar. And he called it, God is my peace. You see, in the Old Testament, an altar represents, if you want to write this in, Ken, personal commitment to God. It's a reminder. I don't want you to forget that I had a personal confrontation with God here, and it changed my life. And so he names the altar peace because he is going to go into battle, and the world is in chaos. And Gideon needs peace. When you and I surrender to Jesus Christ, then we find peace. Remember he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give you the kind of crazy peace this world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. Psalm 46, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help. When we're troubled, therefore we should not fear and our world is encased in, 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 in fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains tremble in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam. 
And then it says in verse 10, my favorite, be still. Be at peace. Be calm. And know and understand that I am God. I'm in control no matter what happens. So before fighting your tough battles, and if you haven't had them, if you're not going through them now, you will have them, I guarantee that. You need to have peace with God. Inside, out. Affirmation, revelation, it's me, God says. I am with you to help you. You're not alone. Have you had that revelation yet? No matter what happens to you in life, God is with us. You don't have to fight your battles alone. Now, I think step three is the toughest in how God changes Gideon and how he changes us from losers to leaders, and that is Gideon's confrontation. It is really a test. God tests Gideon just like he tests us. You know, before he uses us, he trusts, or he, he tests us to, to make sure that we can trust him, and we will trust him. I saw that happen in my life. I see it happen a number of times, but I saw that happen in my life, especially in 1975. Some of you may remember, at Emmanuel, it was a very tough year. There was a pastor who was called there as the administrative pastor, and he lasted one year. And it was probably one of the most horrendous years of my life. He just raised chaos. On top of that, my wife, we thought we would be good parents, but my wife had seven pregnancies. Seven. The third pregnancy, little Jennifer Joy was born to us. We thought we would be good parents, you know, but God was really challenging us. Jennifer Joy was born. She weighed one pound, two ounces in 1975. That's when neonatal Butterworth began. I baptized her. She was 11 inches long. I laid her on the counter where the doctor said, and I said, why aren't you covering her up? And they said, because she's going to die. Too little to sustain life. So we went in the recovery room, and we were crying our eyes out. Bev's sister, my wife, Bev, and myself, and all of a sudden the screen, the, 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 uh, the curtain opened and the doctor said, well, your little daughter's doing fine. This is not a time for a joke. Our daughter is dead. We're grieving her loss. And he said, no, no, you know, she's a real fighter. We took her up to neonatal intensive care. For four days, it was like a roller coaster up and down. They couldn't tell us what her blood volume was. They were just starting neonatal intensive care. They didn't have tubes small enough to put down her. I remember sitting or standing at her bassinet or whatever they call it, you know, and, and all of a sudden she turned blue. I called the nurses very quickly. It was just a terrible roller coaster ride. Now, I've got to tell you also that during that week, never happened to me before in my ministry, never has happened again. There were two families who came into my office asking for my blessing on their teenage daughters to have an abortion. My daughter's fighting for her life. See, God tests us pastorally, doesn't he? Even though I didn't agree with him, I said, you know what, whatever your decision is, I will be your pastor. I will be your pastor. Nebraska fight song. 
I'll be your pastor. And I think God tests us sometimes. Because he wants to ask us, are, are you going to take care of these people or aren't you during their tough times and their trials? In oppression and depression in Israel, they trusted idols, they compromised their faith. And Gideon's test is to tear down his dad's altar to idols. And he did. Now, I don't know what altar, what, what idols there are in your lives. You know, uh, maybe you don't even know what idols there are, but there are idols. What bale is in your backyard anyway? You know, without a blessing. No blessing. Without obedience. Can't be. So God tests us, I think, in three ways. And you can write these down in your outline. First of all, does he not test us spiritually? So he wants to know who is God in your life. Remember the first commandment? You shall have no other gods. He wants complete allegiance. And so there are a lot of people who say, you know, God is number one in my life, and that's not right. Because if there's a number one, there's what? A number two. And it may be that number two takes over number one spot. So God says, I want the only place. I want to be the absolute center of your life. So he tests us spiritually. He tests us emotionally also. Whose altar was it that Gideon was supposed to tear down? It was his dad's altar, and he was terribly afraid emotionally because there was going to be a confrontation. Have you ever challenged your parents? We were supposed to love them and respect them and honor them. But we were to obey God even above our parents. And sometimes we're more tied to our earthly family than we are to our heavenly family and to our God. We are to stand only with God, even sometimes against family. And so Gideon smashed down his dad's idol. And it was like God was saying, Gideon, before you go out into the world, I want you to clean up your backyard. I want you to clean up your family. Because family may not get it. But service to Jesus begins here. With your family. And boy, is that tough sometimes. He tests us spiritually, he tests us emotionally, he tests us physically. Because Gideon went against tradition and he almost got killed. The townspeople saw Gideon as the culprit and they wanted him dead. If you are serious about serving God, then it may cost you your life like it's doing with many Christians throughout the world. Gideon obeyed. And surprise, who did it really influence? His father. His father came to Gideon's aid. And he stood up against these Baal worshipers, and he said, you know what, are you in Baal's court? If Baal is a god, then he's going to be able to stand up for himself. He does not need you or me to take care of him. You know, how many times haven't you put something up on a pedestal in your life and you almost worship it? And then something happens and it takes that thing off of the pedestal and you begin to say, you know what, my goodness, I, I, I guess I can live without that thing. It wasn't as important to me as I thought. Case in point. In luxurious America, let me ask you this. How many of you here 
Now, I know it's not all of you, and don't be embarrassed if you can't raise your hand and say, yeah, how many of you here can live on 10% less than you are living right now? How many of you can live on 10% less than what you are living on right now? Where is Mr. Spears when we need him? These are all tithers. <laughs> yeah, right? But it goes to show you, we, you know, money is not the God we think it is sometimes. It doesn't give us lasting joy or fulfillment or contentment. So Gideon's bold action made his father realize, man, this kid is right on. Go get him, Gideon. Go get him. Courage is contagious and faith is infectious, so don't compromise your faith. Now, here's the fourth step, and you can write this down. Gideon's transformation. We had affirmation, revelation, confrontation. Now we got transformation because here he received God's power. In fact, in verse 34 of chapter 6, it says this, Then the Spirit of God came upon Gideon, and he was ready for service. He was ready for leadership. You know in the Hebrew what it means when the Spirit came upon him? It means that the Spirit actually clothed him. It covered Gideon inside out. He had this wonderful sense of power. God works in unusable people. Now Gideon, with the Spirit of God, had this wonderful sense of power and confidence to take on the Midianites. He was transformed from a loser to a leader. You see, power in your life and in mine actually comes during and after testing. Would you like more power in your life? Would you like to be able to conquer bad habits? Would you like a stronger faith? Would you like a better job or more money? Would you like more friends? Would you like to be less angry? The path to power is through testing. Some of you know that I'm a pilot. And that means that every two years I have to have an actual flight exam. And so I have an examiner right next to me here and he takes us up and we do stalls where you just kind of sit in the air and you don't move. And you do maneuvers. He tests me. And when I get done and he says, passed. Who do I feel powerful? I can do this for another two years. And you know what? Not only do I have to have an actual flight exam, I have to have a physical exam as well. And that makes me more nervous. I go to the doctor, and after I get out, and he says, you passed. Ooh, I think I have two more years. I got this power going, you know? Power comes with testing. Was Jesus tested in the New Testament? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Remember? It says that he was tested by Satan in the wilderness and notice how Jesus, if you read, go home and read chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, notice how Jesus went into the testing and how he came out. Here's what it says. Jesus, full of the Spirit, was actually led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was clothed with the power of the Spirit inside and out and was able to endure. And he came out more powerful because it says, actually, after he had this confrontation and temptation, and testing with Satan. It says that he went up to Galilee full of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Godly power comes when you pass a test. I don't know how you handle conflict. How do you handle trouble anyway? Do you cuss God? Do you get cranky? Do you get irritable? Do you get depressed and angry, anxious? What? How do you do that anyway? 
Maybe you say, uh, I hate Christianity. I hate God. I hate the church. Do you handle trials in weakness or in power? Gideon responded in power, and he was transformed into a leader. Remember what happened when he finally got this? He took a a trumpet and he blew it, and many of the men of Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh, came to his aid. They heeded the call, and also a number of other people from other tribes came. And how many were the numbers of the people who came? 32,000. And then God said, hey, Gideon, that's, you know, against 135,000. You think, what are the odds? And God said, Gideon, too many. I want this to be my miracle. I want people to honor me. I don't want you to say, hey, look at how great we are because we have conquered the Midianites. So, Gideon, what I want you to do is all of those people who are ready to wet their pants send home. Those people who are afraid of cats, you send home because there are a lot of them. How many went home? 22,000. Leaving how many? 10,000 people. Martin Luther said, if that were me, I would have filled my drawers, dropped my drawers. God said, Gideon, that's too many. I want you to go down to the river because they're thirsty and those who kind of lay down or whatever, get down and lay their spear down or their their sword down uh, and lap like a dog, I want you to send them home. They're not worthy of the battle because they're not ready. They're not alert. And that left how many? 300 people. 300. Plus God. Unlikely people, unlikely strategy. What are the odds of them? And you know what? Then he says, hey, here are the tools that I'd like. Not a spear, not a sword, not a a shield, but I want to give you a pot, a clay pot. I want to give you a torch, and I want to also give you a trumpet. And here's what I'm going to do as far as strategy. I want you in the nighttime to surround the Midianite camp as best you can with these 300 men. And then at my command, Gideon, I want you to give the command and they're going to light their torches, put them under the pot, and then when uh, Gideon shouts, uh, crack your pots, and then hold your torches high, and then I want you to blow your trumpet, and I want you to say, for Gideon and for God, and as you hold those torches high, they're going to think in the Midianite camp that there are more than we are, maybe thousands of people there. And you know what the Scripture says? That was such a surprise for them. And they were so scared that what did they do? They started to kill each other. It says that 120,000 died that night. Um, Plus a number of them tried to escape. And the tribes of Israel went after them. Psych warfare at its best. Great victory. Gideon became a national hero from a scared person of his shadow. That's how God works. Can he use you? Can he use me? You may say, no way. But don't underestimate our God. He can and he does. You need a new view. You need God's view. Some are here tonight 
Maybe you're in stage one. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you need to hear these passages that God can do far more than all that we ask or think. Is anything too hard for our God? God believes in you. You can do it. Maybe some of you are in stage two. You are ready to meet God personally. You have religion, but you don't have a relationship with Him yet. And you need that relationship. You need to be able to call Him friend. And maybe some of you are in stage three. You're in this test time. Or maybe you're compromising your faith a little bit. And God needs to know that you are all in for Him. And maybe some of you are in stage four. That you are fighting your battles in your own power and you are exhausted and you need transformation. And you need to know that even though this has been a tough week and a tough month and a tough year, that God is with you. You need His Spirit. You need His power and His touch. And he says, I give that to you. Think of Jesus. Was he affirmed? Oh yeah, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Did he have revelation in his life? Did he meet with his God? Did he meet with his father all regularly? He had this wonderful, not religious uh, 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 relationship, but this wonderful personal relationship. Was there confrontation? Was Jesus tested? He was tested, it says, in every way that you and I are, and yet he did not sin. He's able to help us. And was there transformation? Oh, yeah. Jesus died. And yet he wonderfully rose again from the dead. And he gives what we need to do his mighty work, doesn't he? I mean, think of what he gives to us. Does he not give us baptism? And in baptism, this is not some sort of a fluke, but Jesus says, I give you my spirit. The problem is with us as Lutherans and Christians is we don't draw on that power. Because what he says is, I, I clothe you inside out with power. I do. I also give you Holy Communion, which we take tonight, where your sins are forgiven again like he touches you. Your faith is strengthened. And you're reassured that, boy, we have that wonderful gift of life forever. And he gives you his wonderful word. What more do we need? What more do we need? So like Gideon, God says to us, go, get them. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Work for me. Witness for me. Worship Amen? Amen. And now may the peace, peace of God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.